Welcome to the Silver Screenings, a podcast celebrating movies in their 25th anniversary. I'm Nate Myers, joined by Matt Peterson, as tonight we go out of sight. So Matt, uh, you are by far the bigger Steven Soderbergh fan of the two of us, so I'm going to kick this over to you to talk about, but this is, I believe, my favorite Steven Soderbergh film, and it's not even close. I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> That's interesting because th- th- this is one of my least favorite Soderbergh films. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong; I-, I like the film a lot. I think it. I think it's very good. I got uh, so watching it again. I got so impressed with my love of the movie that I did a just an impulse buy of the of the one sheet. I, I found it really cheap online in a double-sided mint condition. Oh, wow. So I just thought, oh, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> well, I, I, I really want to turn it over to you more because you seem to be a huge fan of this film. And I don't think we've ever really talked about it in detail uh, beyond just some passing mention. But I, I'm more interested in, in hearing you know, what you admire about this picture. Well, I would say when I first saw it, I saw it when it came out. So I saw it way back in 98 and I was absolutely intoxicated with the editing. It's edited by the great Ann Coates, yeah. who people might know worked on Lawrence of Arabia, along with many other great films, a British uh, editor. She, I think, is one of, if not the, one of the uh, five greatest editors of all time. She just is a fantastic editor and this film, with the the mixing of the freeze frames, as well as the jumping back and forth in location, stuff that would be developed a little further by Soderbergh the following year with The Limey, mm-hmm. uh, but I think here works better because it's a little more contained and it's not as dominant in the overall storytelling. Works just splendidly, but uh, I also just found the performances so fascinating uh, between George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. There's, I think, a real chemistry in the two of them. Uh, that that conversation in the car uh, when they're in in the trunk of the car after the jailbreak is just one of the, my favorite movie scenes I can think of. And I think what I love about the movie is how it, it shows that irrational attraction that can exist, right? Where really both characters know rationally they should not be drawn to this other person, but there's something within them that is drawn to the other, right? So you have a Jack Foley who is a career criminal robber that can't help but be drawn by the, to this marshal played by Jennifer Lopez, uh, Karen, which that was before that was an insult. Uh, so <laughs> Karen Cisco, And uh, I think it's just that the two of them work so well. I think it's a happy accident of casting. I believe Sandra Bullock had been cast and was ready to go for this part and then Soderbergh backed out of that casting thinking she wasn't right for this particular movie and finding jennifer lopez was brilliant because they she just works so well in this part with the mixture of sexiness as well as the mixture of vulnerability uh, it's just it's a fascinating uh, draw uh, a sense of the opposites attract phenomenon yeah it's really uh, it has a fantastic tone to it right and and I think Soderbergh carried this through with some of his other pictures, especially the the Oceans films. And you could almost say this is a spiritual prequel to those uh, those pictures. I mean, Clooney is playing a character that's very similar to, to Danny Ocean later on. And you're right to say that the two leads have remarkable chemistry. I mean, that the dynamic between the two of them is is pretty electric on screen. And, and, and Jennifer Lopez in particular really gives 
a very interesting performance, I think, because she has to play a lot of different emotions within very compressed periods of time. You know, she's she's weighing the responsibilities of being a U.S. Marshal versus her fear of being kidnapped in a trunk, and uh, yet she's finding George Clooney, you know, his character attractive or interesting on, on a, a strange level. And so I, I think she's the real standout in this film. You know, Clooney's very good too, though his character seems to change at various times in the film, which I'm not quite sure if it's intentional. Like in the trunk, for instance, he, he comes across as sort of goofier. He seems kind of goofier in the beginning of the film. And then he, he's, he, really becomes the more suave Clooney that we expect or that that we're more comfortable with. So uh, maybe that's just my misinterpretation of things, but th- there's a little bit of inconsistency in his performance that, that bothers me every time I watch this. That aside, though, it's very entertaining. The editing, as you mentioned, uh, very strong. And, and yeah, we, we start to see some of the elliptical editing techniques that Soderbergh became more known for later on and and to say that they're woven in very expertly here I, you know I would agree with that there's they're never really jarring there's a fluidity to them especially the scene you know with the two of them in the bar uh, intercutting with them in the hotel room and it, it's just so well done and and it never takes you out of the moment there there seems to be a real unity to the visuals there that is is interesting and that that's one of the standout parts of the film for sure, but I, I on the whole it, it's kind of framed with a fairly generic heist film to me. I, I I never quite get caught up in in the whole caper as much as I would like when I watch this. A lot of the characters aren't maybe as fleshed out or as comedic as the film wants us to think they are. Uh, so there are some details that fall on the wayside for me when I when I do watch this. And that's that's sort of, the film has to kind of choose at a certain point what it wants to be. You know, is this a relationship film or is this a heist film, a caper film? And not to say you can't have both, but ultimately one's going to be sacrificed for the other. And I, I think the film makes the right choice to focus more on the relationship because of the strength of the, the leads and the chemistry there. But the dressing, you know, the window dressing around that uh, isn't isn't quite as strong as I, I think it could be despite its source material. I guess I don't agree with that. I think that the film captures the right balance of the relationship and the heist. And the two, uh, in a certain sense, the relationship becomes the heist uh, for these two people, right? That's what they're being drawn towards is that. And the the diamonds that Albert Brooks has are really kind of ir- irrelevant uh, to what's really the interest here. So I, I agree with you that the, the mechanics of the plotting and how we're going to break in and do this aren't there. But the mechanics of how they're going to work around each other between Jack and Karen is there. And that's what the film's ultimately about. And it's kind of a heist of the two of them almost like stealing the other one's heart. And I think that the the supporting cast is really strong all around. Uh, I love Ving Rhames in this movie. He's one of those great character actors uh, who really just seems to be always solid uh, in a part that he gets. But Don Cheadle is really good in an early part here as Maurice. Uh, I love Steve Zahn. I think he's hilarious. Uh, that that small part from Catherine Keener as uh, Jack's ex-wife Adele is hilarious. So I just, the whole sense of 
place the whole sense of tone in this movie is intoxicating to me it's it's like having a really great drink yeah dennis freen is really good too i i, I kind of forgotten using this I, I haven't seen this for a few years he's always dennis farina yeah <laughs> I, I don't think i've ever seen a dennis farina part where i would ever mistake him for somebody else but he's 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 very good uh as that kind of character right and as the the dad uh i i think he i think he and jennifer lopez have a really good uh rapport with each other in this particular film he just he just got back from omaha beach uh same year saving private ryan that's right hey it was a it was a big year for dennis farina that's that's the unsung story of 1998 (laughs) Farina and supporting small supporting roles. Uh, so this was a bit of a hit when it came out. It was not by any means a massive uh, success, but it did make seventy million dollars in the box office off of uh, about a forty million dollar budget. So it did do well. It was a critical success, and uh, I, I think it's grown in estimation over the years. I don't remember it being a major phenomenon in nineteen ninety eight. I remember it being something people liked, but kind of it got swallowed up with other things that were going on. Uh, so, but it was a movie that people liked. So, Matt, the question I have to you, our hindsight was twenty twenty question. Did the critics and audiences get this movie right or wrong when it came out? I, I think they got it right overall. I, the, the critical response was very strong. It, it, it's a very, it's a very good film. You know, I think it's we laid out all its strengths, and it probably still had more of an art house appeal versus a, a a mass sort of blockbuster appeal. But despite its strengths, yeah, for me personally, it's just not a Soderbergh film I've ever revisited. Yeah, I think they got it right. Maybe the my only critique would be that it was too muted. I think there could have been a little bit more celebration of it. Mm-hmm. But it did strike me that I think one of the things they did cement, and that I remember this being something critics talked about at the time, was this did transition. George Clooney out of TV and into cinema. Yeah. I think this is the movie where he really does cement himself as a leading man in movies and not just that guy that was on ER, which he'd been struggling with that. He'd been trying to make the transition for several years. Uh, and this was, I think, the first time it really took hold and then his his film career took off. And so critics that picked up on that, I think, really nailed it, that this is the movie that, that changed his career. So our Stranger Things nostalgia question, what has changed, if anything... And our thoughts on this movie from when it first we first saw it. So I had completely forgotten that Ray Nicolette, played by Michael Keaton in this film, in that little brief cameo, is also from Jackie Brown, the prior yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, so the thing that I'm wondering about now, 25 years later, is that Samuel L. Jackson, who shows up again in a small cameo at the end of this film, also is in Jackie Brown, admittedly playing a different character. So can we correctly interpret this to be that there was an identical twin that was lost at birth uh, from Odell in Jackie Brown? Well, that's the only conclusion we can draw, right? has to be. (laughs) So, (laughs) no, I think the only thing that's changed in my perspective is that I like that the movie didn't feel the need to be a franchise. There wasn't a, a, a rush to get another movie of these characters out right away which i think today would happen especially because it was set up for the possibility of a jailbreak at the end another jailbreak another round with these two uh but the movie just is its own thing i think that's what i love about it now my opinion of the film hasn't really changed i mean i i enjoyed it you know originally i I still think it's a good film but again it just um doesn't doesn't reach the the highs for me that it does for you nate well there's also i think uh a, a great relationship lesson in this which is that if a woman shoots you in the leg, just call it quits. 
I just, I would say that's, I guess, another thing, looking at this 25 years later, I would just, if I'm Jack, I'm saying, you know what? This isn't going to work. I, I'm not going to try to make this work with us. So Maybe, that, maybe that's the, the ultimate uh, ultimate uh, piece of love language, if we, we want to call it that. You know, when I saw this when I was, what, 16 or 17 at the time when I first saw it, I think I was like, oh, you can work through that. But now as a as a middle-aged man, I'm, I'm thinking, nope, that's that's a deal breaker right there. She's being shot in the leg. Fair enough. So our Walt Kowalski get off my lawn question. What would Gen Z think if this movie were released today? I think they'd, I think they'd like it a lot. Yeah, I, I think it would still do very well. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't seem dated at all, right? I mean, this still feels very fresh, really defined, I think, a lot of Soderbergh's Later films, just in terms of his more mainstream, comedic, entertaining fare. So there's a nice stylistic through line here that that carried into uh, some of his more contemporary pictures as well. And this brings us to the Kevin Feige franchise question. Does this movie deserve a belated sequel? Well, you had pointed out how it's not really trying to be a franchise. And I think it stands alone quite well. Though, you know, you could easily spin this out. And I keep coming back to the Oceans films because I do I do think that they they are almost siblings in some ways and and that that film series went on to to be a trilogy and I think they they're all enjoyable in their own right so you could certainly spin this off and I I wouldn't mind seeing the next chapter in uh, in the relationship between Clooney and Lopez. Well, he could be getting out of jail at this point, 25 years later, yeah. and be a, a free man without any fear of a U.S. Marshal. So that could be, I guess, the real test of the relationship. Does it <laughs> hold when he's not a fugitive? Right? There you go. Uh, There's the big question. You know, I, I think at this point, the answer is no. 25 years is just too long a, uh, of a gap uh, in terms of the, the story. If they'd done one a few years after, I would have probably gone to see it and been interested in seeing it. But I'm grateful that they didn't. I think it just works as it's this nice little wonderful one-off thing that took place in the late 90s all right so well that's a quick one but uh again this is a this is a, just a personal favorite of mine a nice little throwback to 1998 so matt will uh pick up again next month i think we're doing is it enemy of the state yeah that's right all right so everybody check out enemy of the state between now and our next podcast and we will talk about that come september <laughs>